Here at AI and Industry, the sort of core purpose of the show is to showcase transferable lessons in artificial intelligence adoption and use in the enterprise or even in the public sector. And often that comes in the form of challenges, looking at how other companies, other organizations have dealt with specific challenges with respect to AI. And if there are challenges with breathing life into AI in an enterprise, those get magnified when we're working at the level of a country. And if we're, if we're applying AI to 80 million or 100 million people in a country is hard, in a country like India with well over a billion people and over 20 official languages, you can imagine how much harder that actually gets. This week on AI and Industry, we interview Arnab Kumar. He's a founding manager of Frontier Technologies for Niti Aayog. Niti Aayog is the uh, sort of now famed branch of the Indian government, sort of a thinking and doing tank particularly focused on applying artificial intelligence at a national level, building the, the national AI plan and rolling that out across critical sectors like healthcare, uh, like education, like agriculture, areas where the Indian government has decided they'd like to place their focus. We've done a lot of coverage on India, and some of you who've listened to the show for a long time have heard a lot of excellent PhDs and interesting startups in the Indian AI ecosystem. If you haven't seen it yet, if you're on emerj.com, that's our main website, Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. So emerj.com, type in AI in India in the search bar, and you'll see sort of our full report on the Indian AI ecosystem. Um, we cover a lot of interesting use cases and companies, including healthcare, which is a lot of the focus of this interview. Uh, but we also cover some of the ramifications of AI outside of just the social good, uh, we talk about the economic viability of India in the future, and we actually have you know some recommendations and opinions that in some ways differ from where the Indian government is pointing themselves in terms of uh, where they see the biggest leverage points for artificial intelligence. But we don't really get into those friction points here in, in this particular interview, but that full report might be interesting for any of you who really enjoy this show thoroughly here. In this particular episode, we talk with Arnab about sort of a couple critical factors of applying AI at a national level, one of them being where do we land and expand? What is the beachhead when anything is hypothetically possible? We have government funds to put behind it. Where do we want to place artificial intelligence, specifically in this case in healthcare, but the analogy goes kind of anywhere. Where do we want to begin and why? Where are the low-hanging fruit areas where we think we can gain traction, we think we can gain leverage, we think we can gain data assets that are going to transfer elsewhere? And RNAB articulates that pretty well in terms of where NITI-IOG and, and the Indian government is beginning with their efforts in healthcare. We also talk about a future vision. When an enterprise adopts artificial intelligence, they have to have a sense of what critical capabilities they're going to enable, what new future they're specifically moving towards that's going to allow them to win. And at a national level, Niti Aayog's had to do the same thing. Um, and so Arnab articulates sort of where they'd like healthcare to be. And at the end of this episode, and I think this will be probably the most interesting part for our enterprise listeners or any of you who sell into the enterprise, Arnab articulates what he thinks are the most transferable lessons from his experience in kind of fighting hard to, to build out this national AI strategy in what aspects of that transfer to applying AI in an enterprise. So he talks about data requirements, um, he talks about culture and priorities and some factors that I think you know, they've had to juggle at such a high level dealing with a billion plus population and, and the resources of the Indian government that I think are, are going to shine a lot of light on where priorities probably should be for a lot of enterprise listeners. Arnab's a smart fellow. He previously held leadership positions at Oracle Financials in San Francisco, uh, and he worked with Deutsche Bank in, in New York City and in Singapore, and then jumped his way into 
sort of the public sector in helping the Indian government in this kind of cutting edge ordeal. So a guy who's seen the public, seen the private, um, and really articulates kind of the bridge between the two. So I don't, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter, I think, which one you live in, whether you're in a government or you're in a big business or you sell into big business. I think the transferable lessons are here. And I think when it comes to priorities for leaders, the lessons that, that they're learning in India, I think, are darn transferable to essentially anywhere in the world. So without further ado, we'll get into this episode with Arnab Kumar of Niti Aayog. I am Dan Fagella. You're listening to AI and Industry. Let's go ahead and roll right in. So Arnab, where I wanted to start off with us is just getting kind of our feet wet in terms of where AI and healthcare is in India today. You're working at a national level and with a country at the size of, of India, you're a billion plus people, that ends up being pretty challenging. And I know you guys have bigger ambitions ahead. Where are things today in terms of aiming to embed AI in healthcare uh, in India? Absolutely. And, and thanks for asking that question. That's one of the most important questions that keeps driving us. As you mentioned, India is a vast country. The biggest challenges in healthcare, irrespective of any technology, is one of access, affordability, and availability. Our focus has been to solve these three pillars through artificial intelligence and other related technologies. We have just got started. The ambitions of the government are huge. We have rolled out a massive public inclusion program called Ayushman Bharat, which entails to make sure that almost 40% of our population is covered through some form of medical insurance. And we are now putting in technologies very early stage to make sure that that vision is translated into action on the ground. And I have a bunch of examples that I have, which I'll be happy to detail on. But to summarize, still early days, some intervention of artificial intelligence-led technology, but a lot more to to be accomplished in the near future. Yes, yeah. I think maybe half the challenge to some degree is mapping out what technologies are going to work, where are the best leverage points, where do we want to get started, what's going to be, you know, yeah. the most cost effective. That is not a weekend project, you know, that that's probably yes. years in the full fleshing. And, you know, again, India being as large as it is, that's going to be more challenging than it would be for a country like Luxembourg or Sweden, you know, who, who has a, a little bit of a small, smaller set of issues to deal with there. So yeah, we are going to talk about the forward vision. I think the audience is, is going to be very interested in sort of where you know the nation is aiming to head but if we just talk about you know the things where where the ball is getting rolling today you had mentioned kind of three you know inclusion and two other points there i want to maybe hash those up in front of the audience again and then yeah if, if you could maybe go into a few of the things where we're just getting started that would be kind of interesting to see you know where do we begin trickling out the efforts with ai and healthcare sure so now now let me give an example of of, of the two pillars of access and availability and I'm going to give you a very specific example. We have a very large cancer hospital in the western part of India. It's called Tata Memorial Hospital. It sees an incidence of more than 100,000 cancer patients every year. Good gracious. Yeah. And the, the surprising part is that more than 25% of those patients come from four eastern states of the country who on an average travel more than 2,000 kilometers. And to add to that, they, they travel when the cancer has developed to a level where the cure is not that straightforward, or maybe it's not even possible. It has become terminal. So in addition to having a cost attached to it, there's a stress and there's, there's, a, there's a danger of mortality. All those aspects considered, and, and specific reason for that is that we may not have that sophisticated infrastructure in those at scale on in those four states. The, the simple reason for trying to see this problem and trying to solve this is 
can we have access to that digitized information and can we at least have an advanced triaging system available in large hospitals or even uh, district hospitals in those four states? Uh, this hospital has been fantastic in digitizing the one in the West, digitizing patient records for the past 12 years. So we have access to more than 150,000 patients, 150, 100,000 patients over a longitude of 12 years. What we are trying to do right now is build a cancer biobank, which is both radiology and pathology combined with information of the patients and how they have developed over a course of their treatment and build a sophisticated triaging mechanism that can then be deployed in states where sophisticated cancer uh, triaging may not be available at this stage. Yeah. That is one aspect. Okay. Yeah. The second aspect is while you are doing this work, I mean, AI-based radionomics is an emerging area of technology. What you can also do is if you have this amount of data set, what you can also do is extract advanced biomarkers that can actually help you pinpoint how a particular ca cancer strain has developed over a period, a period of time. And then you can personalize the treatment for that cancer. Even at this stage of uh, treatment development, it's still a very generic treatment mechanism for most uh, types of cancer. And once we start personalizing it, then is the time we start uh, defeating cancer on a, on a large scale. So through this uh, cancer biobank project, we are trying to have twofold. One is advanced research and second, uh, afford availability to a large section of population which may not have had uh, this kind of uh, privilege available earlier. Yeah, and if I could just poke yeah. into that one a little bit with you, Arnap, because I think this is an interesting, again, example project of where you're getting started. Cancer yeah. seems to be a place where you're beginning. Obviously, India has a lot of different health concerns, yes. you know, that in many ways are foreign to, you know, let's say the population of Germany or or something like that, you know. But cancer is is somewhat universal. I mean, I think any any developed country can understand why cancer would be such a big deal and a priority. It sounds like you have a very sophisticated and, and obviously very well trafficked hospital that focuses there. In terms of what made that a starting point of all the different diseases, all the different areas, was it because of the sophistication and the traffic of that one facility? Because I know not all hospitals you know, are going to have the schmanciest biomarker tracking in a country as large as India. What, what helped make that the first landing point? I think everybody's interested in kind of where priorities have to settle first. So maybe enlighten me a bit there. Absolutely. And this may be true for uh, any artificial intelligence intervention globally, not just India. The, the biggest challenge that we have when you take uh, into consideration uh, sectors like healthcare or agriculture, or any, any sector that has a priority from the government perspective, is curation of problem. That becomes very, very important. Uh, it just so happened that when we were starting our artificial intelligence interventions, we happened to visit this hospital. We saw the heat map of patients coming in and we saw what available infrastructure that they had. And it struck us at that moment itself that it is prime for a solution like this. India is a very data rich country. What we need to bring India to a stage is becoming a very data intelligent country. And that will take us a lot of time, a lot of problem curation, a lot of uh, data cleaning and annotation. Those will become the bedrock of any artificial intelligence solution that we build in the future. This is not going to be easy. And if you ask anybody who has who has done any basic annotation in the field of healthcare, and I have been talking to experts from yeah. uh, Google and Microsoft, it takes a hell lot of time to, to, <sighs> to build a robust annotated data set. So if you have, you have at the bare minimum a digitized set of data, 
where you have taken care of uh, considerations like uh, privacy, you have taken care of concerns like either consent or a waiver of consent, then only you can build a robust enough data set that, that can power any AI-based healthcare engine, be it cancer or be it any other disease. Yeah. So, and, and like you said, I mean, that is such a challenge. I mean, everybody I think is aware, you know, we, we actually work a lot with the crowdsourcing companies that do this kind of annotation, but for the most part, it's the kind of annotation that anybody who can speak a language could do, you know, label some entities in text, you know, of, oh, this is a sports team. Oh, this is a celebrity. Oh, this is a positive sentiment. This is negative sentiment. But if you want to label a medical data set of cancerous or non-cancerous tumors or different kinds of fractures or different kinds of, you know, profiles of blood samples or something like that, you just can't pull general folks off the street and do that. And so, you know, with so much data coming in to to have to label all of that, you know, just out of raw curiosity, talking about the application you're you're speaking to here, this hospital that seemed to be really low-hanging fruit for you guys, how are you moving forward on that because of just how challenging it is? That's a, that's a wonderful question. It's an absolute challenge. I mean, annotating healthcare records, even for uh, the simplest of, of medical records, is not a straightforward process. We are still in the process of building this, but our approach is something which is not very far from a crowdsourced approach. What we are trying to do here is use a machine learning approach where we have a gold standard of annotated images. And then we we open it up to, uh, say, medical students, not just anybody who wishes to uh, annotate, but a set of medical students and and people who have some information on medicine and and, uh, some degree in in being a, a doctor of medicine, and then help them to learn how to annotate a large set of data. I mean, I mean, we have, uh, we have a significant population of medical students who can take this effort and help us build this annotated data set. But we will still be comparing that with our gold standard and the machine that we are trying to build here will keep nudging the students in the, in the direction of achieving uh, correct annotated data set. This, this will still take a lot of trial and error and yeah. we will be building that over the next three to six months. But I think that will be the, the approach. If you look at the largest medical uh, or health-based AI interventions, you'll see that the largest data set may be maybe 5,000 or 10,000 data sets. I added one uh, experiment where the data set was in, in the range of maybe 20,000 and it took them about eight months to do. What we are dealing here with is 150,000 uh, data sets over 12 years. So it has to be a mix of experts combined yeah. with crowdsourcing and being tracked against some sort of a gold standard to make sure that everything is correct and uh, actually informs the AI engine to the best of the yeah, and and that's I think you know the folks that are trying to do this at scale. There's a firm I I forget the name. I think it was Infravision that we interviewed not that long ago in China, who I, I think is having to do something similar, where you have a set of kind of supreme experts within that single discipline, and then you have people with a certain amount of expertise who are getting very hands-on coaching and feedback from those people, and they may never in that job they're not going to necessarily become you know a double phd in radiology or something but they are going to become experts at this specific kind of labeling and all the nuances that someone with those credentials would do and so it's like yeah. a very nuanced kind of training and obviously you guys are going to have to do that at a scale that is pretty wild given how much you're yeah. working with um and maybe this this is a nice transition to talk about where we are working towards i mean you, you have a set of initial initiatives you know, when you try to sum up sort of where you want India to be as a country, you know, in the, the coming decade or so in terms of embedding AI in healthcare, how do you frame that vision to someone who's just getting to know it? And then maybe we can poke into it. 
Absolutely. So the vision here is is very simple. We have to make sure that uh, healthcare is available and accessible to the largest population possible that we have. And that is where a combination of technology, regulation and policy has come in. As I mentioned, Ayushman Bharat is, is providing a safety net. Through our, uh, our intervention in, in healthcare, what we have done is we are going to transform our primary healthcare centers into health and wellness centers where we are going to cover a large set of non-communicable diseases in addition to uh, other serious diseases and make sure that at least some sort of intervention is available at every single such PHC or health yeah. and wellness yeah. center. A lot of that has to be done through technology, through augmentation of the capability that we have in healthcare. And we are not that great when you, when you compare that with, uh, with the world average of number of doctors or nurses. So a combination of human intervention combined with augmentation has to be the new normal for a country like us. And that is where what we are doing is we are working with a set of startups, we are working with a set of companies to actually prototype some of these solutions and see if they stick and if that, that can be scaled. So I'll give you another another few examples. Yeah. One of them has been uh, diabetes and more specifically uh, the, the vision loss uh, due to diabetes so the area of diabetic retinopathy is something that is important to us and it, it goes unnoticed in a, in a large section of population because you typically don't go for an eye checkup when you have diabetes. What we have done is we have worked with a couple of companies who, have, uh, who are using fundus cameras and using a, a, an AI API to, to analyze whether, whether there is a chance of, of this person uh, suffering from diabetic retinopathy and then uh, referring them to specialists to find a treatment or a cure for that. We are in the process of rolling that out in a few districts in this country. Uh, a, a typical district in this country will probably have a population of a million or so. So it's still not a small intervention, but given the size of India, we have 700 odd districts. It will still seem small. Once we have started uh, proving that this can be scaled up, then this kind of intervention can then be put in every uh, single district, every single health and wellness center. And this is how we will be able to target specific diseases one at a time. And then once we have learned enough from these uh, proof of concept projects, then we start rolling out several new uh, such technologies where uh, AI plus human is able to, to cater to a large set of population. The idea here is that the government alone can't do it. Technology is evolving at a very fast pace. So it has to be a collaborative effort between, uh, between the government, the startups, and large tech companies who are working in this direction. If you are focused in, in the area of healthcare, and if you want to uh, showcase your uh, capability and, and work with us to prove a concept or prove a technology which has some clinical validation, we are very happy to work with, with the technology companies, not just from India. What we have done is we have also uh, signed up to work with uh, a few companies from the UK, and we are happy to work with the best technology companies from across the globe. If there's a solution that is of mutual interest to both of us. Yeah, it is very simple. Use technology uh, going forward and solve these problems one at a time. And, and once we hit a critical mass, then go all over it and then try to solve some of these problems that India has. And India has a proven uh, record in, in ad adopting this kind of an approach. We have eradicated polio using exactly the same approach and over the over intervention of the last 10, 15 years. And, and no reason why we can't do for several other diseases that, that are prevalent in India.
Yeah, and and I think that there's obviously, you know, from diagnostics to treatment and beyond a lot of areas for AI to fit in there. It sounds like if I reiterate what you've said at a high level, the number one goal is accessibility. Obviously, again, in a country like India with the density of doctors, which is very low, comparatively speaking, and, and also with such a geographical split. Also, you have all those language concerns that people from yeah. the outside world, they're not aware that you got 20 something official languages in India. It's basically like, it's like Europe, you know, that there's borders yeah. and there's languages that people just don't understand. People think you can speak Hindi and get around India all the way. It's like, nope, you cannot do that. So there's a lot yeah. of things. There's a lot of big, big things, but but accessibility through those barriers, through the, the lack of doctor density, that's the big game. And, and I think some people have said that there's an advantage to some degree of not having a high density of doctors because everyone understands that you have to augment human skills. So it's not some places in the Western yes. world, there's a little bit of fear like, oh no, I'm a doctor. I still have all this student debt. I have a lot of incentives to make sure that these machines don't make progress. But in India, it's like, okay, we don't have an eye diagnostic specialist. So this machine is not competing with us. This machine is helping us do a better job. And, and so potentially that, that can end up being maybe a strength to some degree. I'm sure maybe that's something you'd agree with as well. But it does feel to me like it would help incentivize some some heavy emphasis on adoption. I could not have put it any better. You have hit the nail on the head. Uh, we do not have a concern for the next uh, for the foreseeable future of automation. That's why I, I use the word augmentation. Healthcare, doctors, nurses, and uh, other related people, their jobs are not going away for the, for the next several years because there's a lot of ground to be covered. One interesting thing that you brought up is the, is the language concern, and that is where we as a country are again uh, investing in something. We, we as government are very good in building infrastructure projects, not related to uh, AI or healthcare, but we have been very good things similar to that, which is our payments system, which is our health stack. So we are trying to build something similar here for our startups and technology companies, which is building a NLP stack, which means that if, if you are able to build a technology in a particular uh, language, we should be able to help you uh, translate, transcribe, and still uh, keep your sentiments and, and semantics intact in other language. So we are in the process of building that NLP stack as well. So a technology company may not need to be concerned about having a solution in eight languages or 20 languages or, or something like that. So still in early stages, but we are also uh, taking that into consideration. A lot of our intervention, as you rightly pointed out, will be uh, first reactive. But what we will also do is we will do a lot of work in presumptive and prevention of disease as well. That, that's why Ayushman Bharat has a focus on NCDs as well, uh, non-communicable diseases. And human plus technology is, is the right focus for us going forward. Yeah, and I, I feel like there's almost a chance, you know, I don't think this is being too optimistic. I, I try to keep myself from sliding too far into pessimism or optimism, but I don't feel like it's too much to say that it is possible that in some of these areas where, you know, Indian doctors are going to rely on these technologies to make their facilities run, they may be the safest of all in terms of the job market because they are the subject matter experts that also can work fluently with the tools. And is there any more stable place to be in healthcare than being the people who can use the cutting edge? You know what I mean? I, I, I see that as a potential real advantage. Yeah, so in, in my experience of the doctors that we have been interacting with, a lot of them have shown 
strong inclination to actually understand how AI works. And that has been a very, very refreshing and very helpful for us while we are building our, our interventions. A lot of doctors have taken the effort to understand where AI is headed to and how they can use that in their field. One aspect that I also wanted to touch upon, since your audience is, is a global audience, I wanted to make sure that people understand this. What we have tried to, uh, to project India as as an AI garage for the rest of the world. And, and let me give you very specific uh, reason for that. Uh, countries with sophisticated AI solutions in the areas of healthcare, etc., may be able to have a technology advantage vis-a-vis -vis India at this stage. What we definitely have as a country is a variety of use cases, a variety of data sets on which your technologies could be trained and become even better. As you mentioned, the diversity is one of our biggest strengths. A lot of people see that as a problem. We see that as an opportunity because then it allows you to train your uh, deep learning solutions on a multitude of data, which yep. makes sure yep. that your solution is probably one of the best in the world when it comes to uh, catering to uh, different type of patients from different origins, different areas, different food habits, different demographics. And that is, that is something that only a country off scale of India can provide. If you are a, a technology company who has a solution developed but are looking for a use case to train it further, do reach out to us and we are very happy to uh, engage in a, in a fruitful manner which is uh, useful to the both of us. A public sector pitch I will accept. You're not a vendor, Arnav, and so you will get yeah. absolutely no wrist slapping. I will fully back what you've said, uh, having spent a lot of time in Bangalore and talking to the folks about the big opportunities there. I certainly hope to see a lot of this come to life. I know we're right up on time, Arnav. I want to end on one quick note, just one fast takeaway from you. You've worked in the private sector at a pretty high level, and now you are in the public sector working at a kind of gargantuan level of complexity with some very smart people in NITI-IO. We, we've had the pleasure of, of interviewing a number of folks that you work with and appreciate the ambitions. When you think about the biggest transferable lessons of kind of planning and beginning to roll out an AI, a set of AI initiatives within a country, and you think about the biggest lessons there that would translate to the private sector, you've probably learned some big lessons that you would hope enterprises could learn from because you've been forced to think through things at such a big scale. What are some of those big takeaways in closing here that, that maybe the private sector folks could walk away with having learned from someone who's had to think at the degree of scope that you folks have? Absolutely. So I, I think my uh, limited answer to that will be uh, twofold. First is no one not even government can do it alone. Collaboration is the key. Uh, second is you'll have to ask and approach specific answers. A lot of time what we see is uh, people asking us to open data and give access to data. That is probably not the right approach. Ask pointed requirements, which is give us access to this specific data set because we want to do ABC. And that is where the conversation starts. Uh, and, and when it comes to uh, intervention, you'll have to understand that not all of this will be profit driven. You will have to be invested in it for the long run. That's only when you can you can realize a dream which is bigger than, than what a private sector or a government can individually achieve. So that's very, very important to us. And finally, technology is answer to a lot of things, not everything, but a lot of things. A lot of people try to build solutions in frames of technology, regulation, policy, strategy. I think a lot of regulatory and policy requirements are needed 
but a lot of that can also be solved uh, through technology without divulging too much details. A lot of privacy concerns can also be solved through technology, not just regulatory or policy. So that is something that needs to be kept in mind while we are trying to build the next solution for a billion plus population in healthcare. Yeah, and I'll I'll just put some color on this and make sure I'm digesting it as we close here. You had mentioned that to really ask pointed questions, not say, hey, we need to open up our data. But, you know, in an organization as large as you know, India's country here, the nation of India, you can't speak at such broad terms. And probably within a gargantuan enterprise like General Electric or, you know, Ford Motor Company or something, you also can't say things that broad. If you're going to try to build out a solution and work with desperate different teams in IT and whatever, if you can come to them and say, we're going to achieve this goal by leveraging this specific data and we need it in this specific way and we're going to work together to get this specific thing done, it's much better than, hey, we're going to start using AI. We need to generally start doing more of these things. We need to generally yeah. open up more of this data. That's never going to move in a giant organization or in a country, but it sounds like if you have pointed Absolutely. projects, it's that felt to me like a big takeaway. I just want to make sure I have that right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Excellent. Well, I know that 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 is literally right up on time, but I think it was worth it to get in a couple of those transferable lessons. Arnab, thank you so much for being able to join us here on AI and Industry. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a pleasure, Dan. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of AI and Industry. This is your host, Dan Fagella. I hope that we catch you next week. Many of our executive listeners often get great ideas from our podcasts or our newsletters, but they end up coming to us for more help. So they might see some research project that we did with the World Bank, and they might want to do some of their own research on deeper market opportunities for AI in a specific sector or understanding the growth rates of AI in a certain domain. Uh, They might have seen some AI business strategy work that we've done with a pharmaceutical company and maybe ask about things along those lines or see one of the presentations that we've given at the United Nations and ask if we can speak at an event. Uh, And while we certainly do these things, uh, we're certainly involved with clients on pretty big projects on a regular basis, a lot of the time these messages will just end up in my personal inbox. People will find my email or they'll just find me on LinkedIn and send along a message. And this ends up being actually pretty tough to juggle at this point, given the travel schedule and given all the the client projects that we're involved in. And few people actually know, particularly people who only listen to the podcast and and aren't on Emerge.com or on the newsletter, uh, don't know that we actually have a services page that lists what we can help with. So we are not the best at everything, but in terms of what we do, which is mapping the capability space of AI and conveying that to executives in ways that help them win in the market, specific services tailored to that can be found at emerj.com slash services. So here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, we work with government departments, we work with public companies, uh, we work with organizations who are serious about making AI a competitive advantage. And again, we actually do list sort of the programs that we have. So many of the podcast listeners don't know this. These messages end up in my inbox and then I'm you know, traveling for two weeks and I feel really bad that I get back to people later, but you can reach us through that services page or simply send along an email at services at emerj.com, services at emerj.com. From there, Dylan or Marcus or one of our team members will be able to get back to you much more quickly uh, than I would via LinkedIn. So if you're interested in doing more with what you've learned here, if you have serious business initiatives related to artificial intelligence and you want to take your organization to the next level, just simply reach us at emerge.com slash services, that's emerj.com slash services, or just email services at 
emerge.com. That's emerge with a J. So thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, again, we're going to be diving into AI use cases and trends and conveying the transferable lessons that you can bring to your organization. And I look forward to having you here next week.